Verse number four, the, the bishop is supposed to be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. That doesn't mean that pastor's kids are going to be perfect. God never said that or expected that. The issue comes down to what is the pastor doing to try to take care of it. Is he putting some gravity on it? Is he putting some weight on it? Is he doing everything he can to, to squelch the misbehavior of one of his children? Listen, preacher's kids and missionary's kids, they are sinners, just like everybody else. And let me say this, they're going to feel like they're in a fishbowl. But don't do anything to make them feel that way. I know that my wife and I, we tried to be so careful to make sure that when we had situations we had to deal with our children, that we never ever implicated or even, I get, that's not the right word, we never even implied to them that this is because you are preacher's kids and you have to set a higher example and you will discredit our ministry, or you will cause, you have to be a certain thing. It was never about you embarrassing me, or what people will think of our ministry because of your behavior. That is not what God expects. We always tried to treat our children that, hey, this is about you and Jesus Christ. And yeah, there are pressures and, you know, preacher's kids and missionary's kids, anyone that is in that category here tonight, let me tell you, don't let the devil magnify that natural emotion because the devil certainly will. So a pastor has to deal with those problems. And uh, if a pastor is going through a struggle with his own family... Let me say this to you, give him the same grace and space that you would want anyone to give you. Amen. Don't add insult. He's, right. Generally, the pastor's hurting, and sometimes the people can be real stinkers yes. and just add insult to injury, and it's not help. Look, if, you got a, if there's a problem there, pray for him. Pray for him and pray for their kids and so forth. The devil will do everything he can to take down a good man, a good pastor, by attacking his family. Verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? In the same way, everything in a church is not going to be going perfectly. And it's not always a reflection of the leadership of the pastor. Sometimes the pastor is doing the best that he can and sometimes from God's perspective, it's like, wow, with what the pastor is trying to deal with, he's doing far greater than what many other men would do. And sometimes all we see is the deficiencies. But the bottom line is a pastor needs to have his home in order to the best of his ability. If it's not in order, he needs to be putting some gravity, doing what he can, not being passive not being puffed up and not dealing with it, but he's doing everything he can with biblical principles to try 
to correct that problem. If he can't correct it at home, if he can't deal with it, then he's not going to know how to deal with church problems. Verse number six, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. We see this so commonly today. Bible school degree is barely scratching the surface. Some people think, well, I went to four years to Bible college, I'm ready to go pastor. You've just scratched the surface. There's a whole lot more that needs to go into a man's preparation And uh, has a man been mentored? You know, how are you going to mentor and pastor others if you've never been mentored yourself? Paul said it this way. He He said, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. You have to have been a partaker of the fruit yourself. I've said this a lot, many, many times, and it's so true. Until you learn how to follow, you'll never really know how to lead. And there are many pastors out there filling the pulpit that have never been willing to follow any man. And because of that, they are handcuffed in knowing how to lead others. Has a man gone through the hoops that his presbytery has placed in his path? Presbytery would be just the leadership, the people that are in a church that, uh, that have that ability to say, hey, we see the hand of God. When Paul and Barnabas was with the church at Antioch, they all prayed and they laid hands and they said, we believe that the Holy Spirit has called you to go minister to the Gentiles. That was the presbytery. They saw it. So many preachers out there have never went through those hoops of the people that know them best actually saying, hey, I see the hand of God on you. I see and I recognize that gift and I believe that God has put you in the ministry. And you know what, folks? People, that men who have bypassed those hoops of his accountability, his own pastor, his own church, he's never been mentored He's never done all of those things. It's just, hey, God told me to do this. God led me to do that. And so I'm just going to go do it and obey the Lord. I have seen personally disaster after disaster after disaster. Men with broken marriages, broken homes, and shipwrecked lives because they went out into the battle and all they knew how to do was play the video game. It's real, and the carnage is very, very real. I've seen too many disasters when someone goes into ministry against the approval of his peers. Verse number seven, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This is about his reputation, and it comes down to what the community is thinking of a man, what does our community... Listen, preachers are going to be despised. But the issue comes down to what are they despising him for? Are they despising him because of his belief in a truth? You know, nowadays, preachers are despised because their stand on biblical standards uh, against feminism and the role that men and women play. 
Those are the kind of things that the world says, I don't, that guy's crazy. I'm, I, they despise the man of God who's standing up for biblical, right. let's just call them old-fashioned values. I, I'm not a big fan of the term old-fashioned, but I'm saying that just so that you understand where I'm coming from. Those things cause a community to despise a man. But a man, a bishop, should never be despised because he doesn't pay his bills, because he doesn't keep his word, because he doesn't have integrity before the people. People should, in the community should see his life and how he lives, and it should add credibility to his message. Listen, any mistake or fault of a pastor is going to be talked about. Likewise, slander is not going to be uncommon, so always check it out for yourself if it is any of your business. 1 Timothy 5.19, I already, I got a little ahead of myself, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, verse number eight, and I will try to cover this in about 15 minutes. Verse number eight says, likewise, must the deacons be grave not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. That word likewise is a connection between the expectations of the pastor and the deacon. The quality of deacons needs to be likewise. It needs to be very, very similar to what God expects of a pastor. Not double-tongued. That means they're not two-faced. They don't say one thing to one person and another thing to another. It's a horrible thing when a deacon agrees with everyone in a deacon's meeting, but then goes among the people and takes the exact opposite position. That's a horrible thing. I've experienced it before, and I'm telling you, it's just, it's just horrible. To me, this is automatic disqualification for a deacon. If he can't be honest and loyal, and if he's going to be double-tongued, how in the world do you correct that? Because you never know from then on out, you never know if what they're telling you in a meeting is what they really believe. And so there's always going to be that question mark, and that would render their position as a deacon as completely unhelpful and ineffective. It is trust that makes the position of a pastor effective. It is trust that makes the position of a deacon useful, and without it, all a deacon has is status in the church. And it's not supposed to be a status position, it's supposed to be a servant position. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The deacon is not merely a faithful church leader, he is a spiritual person with integrity. Verse number 10, and let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. To be proven is to be tested. How is one tested? By time, by temptation, by conflict. You know what? Sometimes people can say, oh, I'm with you, preacher. I'm always going to be loyal to you. That's going to be tested. It is going to be tested. And you'll find out, all right, when the chips are down and when the rubber meets the road, is a deacon going to be a man of integrity and deal with things honestly 
and openly with the pastor, or is he going to be that double-tongued leader that um, you really don't even know where they stand? Verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Now, notice it says their wives. I believe that the likewise connects the responsibility or expectation of the deacons and the pastors. And when it says their wives, I believe that it's referring to both the bishop and the deacons, that their wives also need to be grave, serious, not slanders, sober and faithful in all things. There is an expectation that God has of both pastors and deacons' wives. The pastor and deacons' wives can add credibility to their husband's effectiveness or they can easily tear it down. Verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. You know what I say to verse number 12? Likewise, likewise, likewise. It's just a connection that God has already made with the word likewise. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Such a great opportunity to make a difference. And so go to Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. This is what we see in Scripture. Uh, not much is said about what deacons do. And I personally believe that the Holy Spirit left that intentionally vague because every church is going to have a different circumstance and a different need. The way that the, if, if indeed, and I believe these are the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, not because my old Schofield Bible says so in the heading, but I believe that this is because the, the term deacon just means a helper, a servant helper. And what we have here in Acts chapter number 6 are servant helpers. They're helping serve tables. They're helping meet a, a, a tangible physical need of the widows in order to free up the apostles for the preaching and the prayer, the ministry of the Word of God. And even then, these deacons here still needed to have some spirituality and some integrity. Verse number one, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. To serve tables, to bring food to a bunch of widows that were being neglected, why do you have to be spiritual? Why do you need to be full of the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you why. Because it's the people business. And when you deal with people, there's going to be problems. And if we're not spiritual, if we don't have integrity, we're, 
I mean, we're always going to zig when God wants us to zag. We're going to zag when God says zig. It's just, it's going to be messed up. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and uh, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. In verse 7, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. In other words, what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, that they that use the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a great degree and great boldness in the faith. Deacons can be an effective, hugely effective part of the ministry of the Word of God by taking the pressure of the tangibles. And by the way, I know some people have said, what about the office of the assistant pastor? Well, this is my take. There's not an assistant pastor in the Bible, all right? But there are a multiplicity of pastors spoken of. The bishops and elders in a particular place. That doesn't mean that every church should have multiple pastors. I think you have to look as if you have men that are in this category of 1 Timothy chapter number 3, just like, you know, there were seven deacons in this early church in Acts chapter number 6. God is in no way saying that every church should have the number seven. Keep in mind, you've got thousands of people here. So under that kind of a ratio, we only need about half of Brother Ralph. So in Solomon's wisdom, somebody bring me a sword. <laughs> We only need a half a deacon for the number that we have. I don't even know if that's the right ratio. You don't look at the number. You look at the, the men and who God has gifted. I have known several situations. This is one of them where Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell work together as almost as co-pastors. I know Brother Wilson was the, technically the one in charge, but they worked together. I've talked to people. I remember talking to them, how their relationship was. Each one had different areas of their responsibility, and they just meshed like this. Am I telling the truth, Sister Ardeth? That's an amazing thing. And so even though one was titled associate pastor and the other one was titled, the title didn't matter God's not, you know, the title and the status is not the issue. The issue is the function. If two oxen are yoked together, I mean, you talk about the strength and drawing encouragement, pulling in the same direction. That is what the devil does not want to happen. And the Bible refers to, the Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, they get the job done. They're not worried about who's in charge. And that's the way that it ought to be. And you say, well, that's kind of foolish. Having more than one pastor, that's a formula for disaster. I get it. In most cases, it is. But I don't have any Bible verse to prove that. The problem is that's a manifestation 
of an inner heart problem that most pastors carry around their ego more than they do the Bible. And that's sad. The only, I've heard this so many times, it's got to be in the Bible. Anything more than, with more than one head is a freak, right? We've all heard that. That's got to be in the Bible because that's the only thing that anybody can say that there should not be a multiplicity of pastors. You get some people that are spirit-filled and don't wear their ego around and don't have to be in charge and don't have to get their way and you have mutual submission. Yeah, I think that just like with Moses and Aaron and Hur, just like with, uh, with Peter and James and John, I think that somebody's got to be the final uh, authority. That didn't come out right. Not the final, the... Somebody does need to be in charge. But that doesn't mean that a multiplicity of pastors, sometimes the assistant pastor functions more pastoral. In some situations, the assistant pastor is really more of a full-time deacon that is his needs are being paid for so that he can be a deacon, a helper, full-time all throughout the week because that's a necessity within the church. How do you distinguish the difference? Once again, the title doesn't matter. It's the function. It's men doing what needs to be done, men doing what God has gifted and called them to do because God's the one that fitly frames the body together. And that's what we need to focus on. These men here in Acts chapter number 6, they were spiritual men. They weren't trying to compete with the apostles, and the apostles weren't treating them like that they were just, oh, you're just waiting on tables. They, the, the, the apostles recognized that we need to appoint somebody over this business because this is a genuine need. But if we have to stop and meet that need ourselves, then we're going to be neglecting the ministry of the Word. And if that were to happen, then the Word of God would not have increased and disciples would not have been added. And so the Bible has the answers to how these things should function. As I mentioned before, the word deacon is referring to someone who is an attendant a helper, and uh, I, I, I want to close this down. I want to say this, that probably upwards of 90% of the churches in our area do not function according to Bible principles. You have the deacons, and basically you have a scenario where the pastor works for the deacons. They're the ones that really have the control and the authority within a church, and they are going to make sure that they don't let the pastor have authority and control and leadership. You know, there are several things. Deacon boards typically run the churches. I just had a conversation not long ago where a long-time, long-standing deacon in a particular church in this county, he's telling me about the, you know, some of the pastors that they've had, and he thinks... 
he thinks that he's impressing me with how that they dealt with certain pastors throughout the years. You know, a decision. This pastor wanted to try to preach against the Masons, and we made sure that didn't happen. And he's telling me this like I'm going to be patting him on the back. And I'm, I, I, you know, it was in a scenario where it wasn't my place to rebuke him. I didn't nod my head. I just go, hmm, interesting. And then I tried to get away as quick as I could because I was afraid that he might say something that would provoke me to say something that I shouldn't be saying in that particular setting. But some of these deacons are so proud that they, they ran off that preacher. And we ain't going to let that preacher have any say-so in the finances. And they're just proud of it. And I just want to go, where's your book? Yes, sir. Where's your book? Now, pastors need to, be, need to make themselves accountable. Sure. The, the pastor is supposed to be the shepherd. And the shepherd's supposed to be leading the flock. And that means personnel decisions, that means spiritual direction, that means financial decisions, but obviously a pastor needs to make himself accountable. One of the main things that our deacons do here at Temple Baptist Church, and there's a lot of things that they haven't been required to do because we've always had either a good assistant or multiple good assistant pastors that have been able to do a lot of those uh, peripheral things that need to be done. But they provide financial accountability. They provide a source of wisdom. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. They hold the pastor accountable to the Word of God, and they have a relation. As a pastor, me and the deacons have a good working relationship but above that, we have something that is wonderful and beautiful and rare. We have good, sweet Christian fellowship. We have trust and we have integrity. God's blessed us here with three good, godly men who are faithful and loyal. They are not yes men. But I tell you, I, and, and I, I've told this to them, so I'm not, I'll just share this secret with you. Sometimes I have to be careful how I present a, um, a decision because I know that they trust me. And sometimes it's like I'm not wanting them to sign off on what I think. I'm wanting to know what they really think. I, I don't want yes men. I need to know what they think, but at the end of the decision, I'm thankful that they have confidence in their pastor's discernment, because I certainly have confidence in their discernment as well. And we have a wonderful, beautiful thing here, and I hope and I pray that God will continue to bless this ministry with faithful, loyal deacons. You say, well, I'd like to be a deacon. You know what? There's always need for more helpers and servants. How do I be one of those? Well, first of all, you need to pray about it, but you need to get real familiar with Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 and say, you know what? I have no say-so whether my church will ever ask me to serve in this capacity officially, but I'm just going to be this kind of guy.
and just be one. Whether you have the status or the position, don't you think that God knows who you are and what you're doing? I would rather look at somebody and put a title on who they are and what they're doing rather than think that if I give them a title, then that'll make them become what they ought to be being and ought to be doing. God's not unrighteous. He's not going to neglect. He's going to see your good works. And um, it, it doesn't come down to status. It comes down to are you willing to help bear the burden? Are you willing to go through some tough things? Because in leadership, it's not always easy. There's plenty more that I could say here, but um, I, um, I want to thank this church. I, I owe a great debt of gratitude to Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell for their integrity because they instilled, especially with what I affectionately call you old guard, the ones that were here at least when I came, uh, he instilled in you the biblical principles what the Word of God teaches regarding the pastor and his authority, regarding the deacons and where their place of authority and position is. But even better than that, well, not better, but equally important, he demonstrated integrity. He made himself trustworthy. And so this church has never had to deal with those failures and scandals Listen, I'm sure that Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell were not perfect, and I am absolutely sure that I'm not. (laughs) I I know more about it than you do, trust me. But I know that there has been integrity and stability and um, credibility in this church. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. It's what this community needs because all around us, We are seeing failure and scandal and instability. And the best thing that we can do for this community and for the cause of Christ is to stick with this book, be faithful, loyal, and true, and just hang in there even during some lean and some tough times. I hope and I pray that God has got us through some lean and tough times and that he's getting ready to do something amazing here at Temple Baptist Church. Whether he does or whether he doesn't, just hang in there and be faithful, folks.